Welcome into College Football Live. I'm Kelsey Riggs. We are halfway through the season, which means it is time to hand out some midseason awards. Sam Acho, Tom Luganville here to help me do it. And guys, let's start with some of the biggest stories that we've seen from the first half of the season. You got to start with Deion Sanders making his FBS head coaching debut with an upset win over TCU. Coach Prime said he was bringing his new luggage to Colorado and that it was Louie luggage. Well, we saw it with the Buffs 86 new transfers on the roster, the highest in the portal era. Then there's the Big Ten that has three undefeated teams in Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Seven teams in FBS have over a 30% chance to make the playoff, and the Big Ten has three of them. Then in the ACC, Clemson's not the top dog anymore. Florida State is 6-0 for the first time since 2015, and North Carolina has that same record for the first time since 1997. And Washington and Oklahoma lead the way in their conferences. Oklahoma has the highest chance in the country to reach the CF according to ESPN Analytics. Washington, of course, saw their chances double after that big win over Oregon. So, Sam, those are a few of the big headlines that we've seen so far in the first half of the season. But in your opinion, what's been the biggest storyline so far? It's been the biggest storyline in sports. It's Coach Prime and what he's done at Colorado. And I understand there have been some recent losses, the overtime thriller against Stanford when you're up 29-0 being one of them. But this team... This coach has changed the entire landscape of college football. We're seeing celebrities start to show up left and right. We're seeing a team that people didn't think could win more than three games already get four. And so from the larger standpoint of all things considered, Colorado has changed the game. And so, of course, Coach Prime is not satisfied with that embarrassing loss last week. But I will say this, talking first half storylines, there's nothing bigger, nothing better than Colorado. Because it would be hard to argue that because we have seen so much good from, come from that Colorado program already. But let's spin it forward a little bit. And we've seen some other storylines, Lugs, that have started to emerge. What's the biggest one you think we're going to be seeing in the second half of this season? Well, I can't help but think back a year ago this week and what we were all saying about Oklahoma, what we were all saying about Brent Venables and what that team looked like on defense, 49 to nothing lost to Texas. And fast forward one year removed and Oklahoma's for real. Uh, I think the defensive side of the football is where you've seen the single greatest improvement. You remember the first six weeks of the season a year ago, this team was lost. Uh, they couldn't tackle. Their run fits were poor. Um, this thing was going in the wrong direction. They've done a wonderful job in the transfer portal, aided by some high school recruiting that has all obviously made an impact already in Norman. So the turnaround, in my opinion, for Oklahoma from year one to year two might make them the most improved team in all of Power Five from one year to the next. And the Pac-12 is back. Kind of. Like, that's my second half storyline. What's going to happen when all these teams start to play each other? Okay, Oregon, which is a really good team, just lost to Washington. Washington could win out, but oh no, they play three more ranked teams. They play Utah. They play Oregon State. They play USC. USC just came off of a huge loss to Notre Dame, but what happens? Do they pick it back up? This Pac-12 race is going to be epic. Any one of these teams could win out. And oh, by the way, there's a world where two of these teams could potentially, I said potentially, 
make the college football playoff. It is going to be so interesting to see what happens with the Pac-12 in the back half of this season. It's already been exciting to watch all the storylines, the quarterbacks, the high-flying offenses, and, of course, all of those ranked teams that are now going to play each other. You guys, you both had one of those ranked teams in your power rankings when we did those on September 27th, just a month into the season. So here's what your top five power rankings look like then. You both had Texas, Washington, and Oregon in your top three. Luke, you had the Longhorns at number one. Sam, you had Oregon in that top spot, and both have lost since then. And Sam, you'll also notice you didn't have Georgia in your top five. So let's do your midseason power rankings. And Luke, I'm curious to see how they differ. Well, let's start from five down to one. I'm going to, first of all, I think you could take a wealth of teams, throw them all up against a wall and see where they stick. You know, whether it's Penn State, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's Florida State, whether it's Washington, Ohio State. I, I have Oklahoma at number five right now. I just think that they are a really complete football team and they've made such significant improvements in all three phases of the game. Uh, they're mature. They are far more talented than they were a year ago. Dylan Gabriel has much better weapons um, than he had a year ago. At number four, I have Ohio State. And I feel like we haven't seen their best game yet because they haven't been able to have their best players on the field all at once yet. No Travion Henderson, no Mayan Williams last week. Denzel Burke went out on defense uh, a week ago. Igbuka went out as well. Obviously, you've got Marvin Harrison, and nobody's been able to come up with an answer for him. Let's see what happens versus Penn State in the horseshoe, and if Ohio State can get healthy. Number three, I have the Washington Huskies. Uh, I've said on this program before, I think they're the most dangerous team in all of college football. I think you could play that Oregon-Washington game ten times, and they would alternate wins every other week. It's just, uh, they're really explosive. They can score from any spot on the field. And I think they're better on defense maybe than they get credit for. It's a really, really good football team. I've got Georgia at number two. I don't feel it's fair with the loss of Brock Bowers to just say, oh, all of a sudden Georgia can't compete now. Georgia's too deep. Georgia's got players. The quarterback's playing his best football of the season. They can pass protect. This is a really talented roster. They're going to have to come up with answers. No Brock Bowers, but that doesn't just pop them out of the race. And for me, it's, it's Michigan at number one. They, uh, do I know how good they are? I don't think anybody does because they haven't been tested. But I know what my eyes tell. And that that is a well-rounded, tough, physical, rugged football team that can beat you in a variety of ways. And they do all of the championship little things right. Run the football, play run defense, good kicking game. And they rarely beat themselves. Now, we got to find out once they start playing people what happens when they get into a close game. But right now, they look like the total package. I, I love this list, Lugs. I, I only have one, not even an issue, but it's more of a question, maybe a conversation, because I don't know if you're going to respond or not. But the Georgia piece, like <laughs> I was high on Georgia after their win against Kentucky, but then Kentucky goes and loses the next week. And then, like, that's yeah. my only question mark, which I think we share. But I'll go to my top five list. You'll see some similarities, but there'll be probably a couple of key differences. Number five for me, it's Florida State. So the reason I picked Florida State in this, you might say, why are they not higher? But Florida State does have two significant wins in the win over Clemson and the win against LSU. But LSU may not be what we thought they were when the season started, this top-ranked team. LSU has a few losses so far. And then Clemson, I think they could still rebound, but Clemson started slow. So that's my number five-ranked team. That's why they're five and not higher. Number four, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ohio State, at number four, and the reason why is this. 
It's not the offense. It's not Kyle McCord, not Mayan Williams, not Travion Henderson, not Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka. It's their defense. I've actually been impressed more so by their defense than anything. I think McCord will and can get it going. They'll have a huge test this weekend when they play Penn State, but that's why they're in my number 14. Good win against Notre Dame. I want to see more. Number three, Oklahoma. This took me a while to kind of go back and forth with because I'm sitting there, Oklahoma only one major win, but that's probably one of the best wins, if not the best win against Texas in college football. Texas is a really, really good football team offensively, defensively, and special teams. Oklahoma took it to them, and oh, by the way, they won in the last minute. They drove the ball down the field. They were poised, got it done. Number two, Washington. Could have put them at number one, but we all saw what they did last week against Oregon, not just with their offense, not just with their defense, but also in their running game. I talked about Michael Penix. We talk about him all the time, Heisman Trophy favorite. They ran for over 100 yards in this one. They forced turnovers. They found a way to win the game even if it was by little coaching decisions by Kalen DeBoer. And Kalen DeBoer. Number one, Luke said it, I'll say it, it's Michigan. They are the most complete team in all of college football, no matter who they play. They, a game a couple weeks ago, played Minnesota. 74 people on the active roster, 73 played. Only one that didn't was their backup long snapper. Last week, they forced four turnovers. The week before, they had two pick sixes. On defense, hard to beat. On offense, they do it all. Quarterback, run game. On special teams, they got it together as well. So that's why they're my number one team. You, you know, Sam, I look at our list. We have so many similar player uh, teams there. And I went back and forth on Florida State in the same way you went back and forth on Oklahoma. Because I felt like Florida State could literally have two losses right now. And they haven't played as good on the defensive side of football as I think people have expected them to against the better teams on the schedule. It's interesting. I think I could see your case in point for the Georgia and some of the question marks that people have about them. And then you see what Michigan has been able to do. They haven't really played anybody, but they have won convincingly and done well on defense in those games as well. Take a look now at the college football rankings brought to you by Chick-fil-A in Georgia. According to the AP voters, still the number one team for the 18th straight poll, the longest streak since USC from 2003 to 2005. Washington also moved up two spots after their win, and North Carolina enters the top ten for the first time since the 2021 preseason poll. Let's now bring in our college football playoff senior reporter, Heather Dinich, for more as we are still two weeks away from seeing the committee's actual top 25 for the very first time. So, Heather, what are some of the games that could potentially change the way things shake out before we get those first rankings from the committee? Well, before we get the first rankings from the committee, we'll start in the Big Ten East. It starts this Saturday with Penn State going to Ohio State. And if you remember last year, Penn State lost to Ohio State, and that was critical in Ohio State getting to the championship, or excuse me, to the college football playoff without winning their division because they also beat Notre Dame. But the Big Ten East has to shake itself out in order to figure out who to take seriously from the Big Ten and the college football playoff race. And then finally, on November 11th, that USC-Oregon game is going to be critical in determining whether or not USC is really a college football playoff contender. And the same can be said for Oregon. Obviously, they have one loss already. Big Ten East is so interesting. The Pac-12 is going to be interesting down the stretch. And the playoff committee is going to have a lot of things that they have to weigh as they move forward and look at these. What are some of the biggest questions that they'll have to weigh before these next two weeks come? 
Well, the first is who is number one. And I was looking at Sam's top four, and I was looking at Luke's <laughs> top four, and they don't even know what to do with Georgia. Sam's like me. He doesn't have him in the top four at all. And what does the injury to Brock Bowers do in that selection committee meeting room to that thought process? They always consider injuries to key players. No one, not even Kirby Smart, knows how long Bowers is going to be out, but it goes deeper than that. What about Georgia's schedule strength? That could be an issue. When you look at who they will have played to that point, wins against Florida and Kentucky will be their best wins. And then second, what does the selection committee think about Oklahoma in terms of do they need to go undefeated to finish in the top four? Because like Sam said, yes, they have one of the best wins, arguably the best win in the country at this point against Texas. But if they were to finish as a one-loss Big 12 champ, would the Sooners have enough on their resume to impress the committee to put them in over another one-loss Power 5 champ that has a stronger strength of schedule? It's going to be so interesting down the stretch. You can get more insight from Heather's article. It is on ESPN.com. Heather Dinich with us on College Football Live. We appreciate the insight. Still to come on College Football Live, we're only halfway through the season, but some freshmen are looking like they've been doing this a lot longer. Luz has a look at some of the top young stars through the first half. Welcome back to College Football Live. We're only halfway through the season, but there's some freshmen who are already growing up before our eyes. So Luz, who stood out the first half of the season? Well, I think without question, the eye-popping player was Zachariah Branch at USC out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. He's been lightning in a bottle, so difficult to handle in space. Not only has he contributed as a receiver, contributed as a, uh, as a runner, but he is a field position changer and a scorer in the kicking game. He is going to be a dynamic star for years to come at USC. I think secondly, Caleb Downs, a safety for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, he's the best freshman secondary player that Nick Saban has had since Minka Fitzpatrick. And like Minka Fitzpatrick, he's had to play more than one position because of the injury to Malachi Moore. He's mature beyond his years. He's made a ton of plays. He can set the defense. He's really, really talented. Going to go down as one of their best defenders ever when it's all said and done. And then Anthony Hill Jr. Really burst onto the scene against Alabama for those watching that game, a multi-sack game. But for the Texas coaches, they knew in fall camp, this guy's going to play. He's going to play an awful lot for us. Not only can he play off the ball as a stand-up linebacker, but you can put him on the edge as a designated pass rusher, and he is a load to handle. So, you know, those are three guys that have really stood out to me. There's been a variety of others throughout college football that have made their mark, but those three, to me, have been mainstays from the very first week. Let's go to somebody who is a mainstay here on our show now on Wednesdays, and that's Joe Fortenbach, because it's time to get in the know with Joe as we take a look at the biggest storylines from college football betting lens. And we start with the big news out of Georgia this week as star tight end Brock Bowers is expected to miss four to six weeks after undergoing tightrope surgery on his injured ankle. Joe, despite their best player being out, UGA's win total still sits at 11 and a half. Would you still bet the over? 
Yeah, plus 110, I'd absolutely bet Georgia to run the table here and go 5-0 and the rest of the way. Depending on what happens between Alabama and Tennessee this weekend, there's a good chance Georgia is a double-digit favorite in each of these remaining five games. They still have a top-10 scoring defense. When they needed to wake up against ranked Kentucky, they looked fantastic. And they've only played in one game this year that was decided by one score. I very much see Georgia going 12-0 and this season. Another question for you, because last week's loss by USC has dramatically shifted the Heisman odds, dropping Caleb Williams from the plus 260 to 22 to 1, the seventh favorite. Meanwhile, after the big win against Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. is now an odds-on favorite to take home the prestigious award, followed by Oklahoma and LSU quarterbacks Dylan Gabriel and Jaden Daniels. So, Joe, if you're not placing a bet on Michael Penix Jr., who are some of the other players that might have some value in the Heisman race? I'd look at LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels at 14 to 1 and North Carolina quarterback Drake May at 18 to 1. So often this award is decided by a strong November. We are all, after all, victims of recency bias. Look at Jaden Daniels' November. He's already got huge numbers. He's going to play Alabama, he's going to play Florida, and he's going to play Texas A&M. And for Drake May, he's got an opportunity to run the table and go undefeated. And as a highly touted draft prospect, voters very much know his name. Joe Fortenbaugh, thanks so much. And no surprise here that the three toughest remaining schedules among the schools currently ranked all belong to the Big Ten East. We talked about earlier Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. They all have to play each other down the stretch. On the flip side, Notre Dame has the third easiest remaining schedule with a 42% chance to win out. So, Sam, as we were talking about this on our morning meeting, you pointed out it's important, no matter how you started, that you finish the season strong. But what team are you looking at to see, okay, you really need to see them finish things off the right way. I think the team that needs to finish the strongest, I would say, is North Carolina. And the reason why is this. They just got an injection of confidence, swagger, and ability in Tez Walker. Tez Walker two weeks ago, six catches, 43 yards. Tez Walker last week, six catches, 132 yards and three touchdowns with catches just like that. Oh, by the way, this team with Drake May at quarterback can run the ball. Amarion Hampton had 197 rushing yards versus Miami, and the defense can play as well. And so for me, it's about Tez, it's about North Carolina, it's about Amarion Hampton, and it's about their chances to maybe reach the college football playoff for the first time. Sam, I'm going to back to the Pac-12, and I, and I think it's SC. We just heard Heather outline, you know, the importance of the game versus Oregon. I'm not so sure SC couldn't have a loss or two Prior to that game, look at the schedule. You got Utah coming to town. All right. Obviously, the Utah quarterback situation is not what they want it to be, but the defensive side of the football is. Then you're on the road at Cal. Cal played SC last year really, really good on the road. And then it's Washington, Oregon, UCLA. The schedule is brutal. This SC team is going to have to come up with some answers. If they turn the ball over and they continue to play defense like this, could be a rough November. Speaking of their schedule, strength of remaining games for them, 10th hardest in the country. This is going to be a battle, though, in the ACC this weekend. Number 16, Duke, and their dominating defense looking to slow down Keon Coleman in fourth-ranked Florida State. Coverage begins at 730 Eastern on ABC and the ESPN app. Next on College Football Live, we go Acho Mind. Sam Acho's biggest plays from the first half of the season. Grandma Saban used to bake the best cakes in the world. And I used to stand by the oven when I was a kid and say, when's this cake going to be done? When's this cake going to be done? 
I, I don't really understand what you're saying. I got receipts. I know who they are. They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. It's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. When we're going to take the cake out of the oven, we will tell you when it's time. You believe that? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe that? Um, so, no. No. Strong no. Like, yeah. No. No, I think the cake's been in the oven, out of the oven, back in the oven, and I think it's, you know, ready to go. I just need to know more about what kind of cake this is. I mean, my favorite cake is an ice cream cake, so there is no oven. Maybe that's why I like it. You don't have to wait for it. Uh, Lugs, what do you think? Uh, oatmeal cream pie for Nick Saban. I already know. He eats them every day when he goes to work. So <laughs> give me cheesecake. I like that. I like hey, that. Man, give me a carrot cake. A carrot give cake. Give me a carrot cake. I'm good with okay. carrot cake. By the way, my daughter's birthday is today. I'm hoping we're doing carrot cake oh, for her. Oh, happy birthday to your daughter. <laughs> Before you go celebrate, let's go at your mind with some of the biggest plays you've seen this, this season. Well, I had to go with these two to start, Kelsey. These are two catches that'll make you lose your literal mind. Start with Ricky Pearsall from Florida. We all heard of Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed. Try one-handed between three different defenders. That was one of the most outstanding catches that I've seen all year that you may have ever seen. But it wasn't just him. Yes, recency bias is a real thing. I got to go to last week. Give me Keon Coleman. Yes, we've seen him in week one all season long. But do he literally climb the ladder? Like, I'm looking on the field. Is there a ladder? Because how did he get that high up? He had, <laughs> did it in the receiving game. Did it as a punt returner. Keon Coleman last week took over. And the best thing that you'll ever see, my coach used to say, man, zoom the camera. Zoom the camera. Zoom the camera on number 10. Haley Van Voorst from Shenandoah University became the first female non-kicker to play in college football. No, by the way, didn't just play. Got a quarterback hit, quarterback hurry, quarterback pressure, and the dub. Haley, you are a rock star. That play made me go acho mind, and I have so much respect for you, what you do. And great pressure, man. I'm an edge rusher, too, so I love the, I love the quarterback Shout effect. out to Haley, because I'm sure she is inspiring a lot of people. I was trying to think of my acho mind plays, and I was thinking Lugs uh, holding off the entire student section against Duke <laughs> yes. early on. And then I was trying to think of you, Sam, week one out in the middle of the field with Dion, just living the life. I mean, hey, we've been following these stories from up close and personal here on College Football Live all season long. We'll it's continue to do so in the second half of the season. We'll see you next time.